Hello, 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 and welcome to Two Fat Expats. My name's Kirsty Rice, and with me is my co-host Nikki Moffat. <laughs> hello, Kirsty Rice. <laughs> yeah, I think the waving bit maybe not maybe might not work in this medium. But Nikki just gave you all a great big wave, everybody. So wave back. So <laughs> Okay, we'll throw the um, usual long and lengthy intro out. But if you're new here, we are long-term expats who have had this long-term podcast and here we are. So, Nikki, we usually start our podcast with a bit of would you, could you, how did you, whatever, and we ask each other a couple of questions. And I have one for you and you have one for me. Who should start today, do you think? Kirstie, why don't you start today? Okay. So my question for you, Nikki, is what do you think has changed for the expat parent when it comes to giving birth away from home? Yeah, well, that's that's a really good question, isn't it? Because I've, I thought about it, oh, I had a baby overseas, but I realised the last time I had a baby overseas was over 16 years ago. It's <laughs> so bizarre, isn't it? I did have her in the ultimate in hotel spittles as we used to call the um, maternity ward of the of the uh, hospital that I gave birth in. But I did only have 10 weeks maternity leave, which was really six weeks because I started writing emails from home and then I had a meeting with my boss about how it wasn't really ideal from his point of view that I wasn't in the office. And they had flown someone up from Australia to cover, for three months to cover my role and that was pretty much running out. So they really wanted me to get back in mm. and, and mm-hmm. hand back over. So I sort of had probably eight weeks maternity leave in total, which included one week before she was born. So yeah, that that's that's where I was at 16 years ago. Amazing um, hospital experience, uh, difficult return to work experience. Yeah, and what do you think has changed? Like, if you had to think off the top of your head, if you thought, well, if I was doing it now, how would my life be different now? From what you see when you look around at uh, you know new expat parents. Yeah, I think mainly for me now that I'm in Europe, so I'm very aware of the the huge cultural differences and the Mm. expectations about, you know, even when I had a baby in Australia and I think it's still the same, you go to the hospital, if you have a natural birth, you stay for three days. If you have a, a, a cesarean, you might stay for five or six nights. Oh, I think there'd be um, some people jumping up and down disputing that now. I think they kick you out really quickly now. If do you they? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't really know. But yeah. I remember being in South Africa and having this conversation with, with the, my Dutch friends, who <laughs> the Dutchies, who said, oh, drugs, there's no drugs. Like there's yes. just no drugs in childbirth yeah. and you're out of there after 24 hours. And that's when we still had these uh, relatively cushy rules in our Australian yes. hospitals. I guess I would, for me, it's just on the cultural thing and, and the pre and after care, how that happens around. I think probably what I would say now is there are more options. And when I say more options, I don't mean, um, you know, different ways to have babies, but I think even though I thought I was very in control of my childbirth, I think now <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. I think now uh, parents even do have options, like having doulas and different supportive, yes. different ways to be supported before and after they give birth, I think would be yes. the thing that's changed the most probably in that 20-year yes. period since I, I started having babies off I the top agree. of my head. I agree. Yes. So the one thing I have to say, because I did put this question out in the Two Fat Expats group, 
And I'm so glad I did because I've had a huge learning curve reading people's responses, but it's also given me great hope that things have changed, Nikki. They have definitely changed in our expat world in that the most common thing people talked about was paternity leave. Wow. Because you talked (laughs) then about your maternity leave and what that meant for you and your job. But just about every post, it there was some mention of how much paternity leave the partner had and how that affected things and which countries did what and whatever. And then inside of that came the issue of COVID where there are a lot of people who've had babies recently who were almost, dare I say, a bit thankful of the COVID situation because it meant that their partner was at home for that. So in the expat world, um, in some cases, there's a lot of international travel. When when, um, I had my uh, four children, I know in in each country it was it was different, but uh, my husband travelled seventy percent of the time, and so even down to when I was having the actual baby, I remember there was a whole thing of just making sure he was going to be in the country at the time, and and then who would be there afterwards for when he had to Not get straight there. back to work, yes. basically, <laughs> because there was no paternity leave. I mean, I think. I think, you know, that he, you took annual leave back yes, then. Yes, you, you might know, take you a may. couple of days annual leave. I'll just take the rest of the week off just to help Kirsty yes, out with a couple of yes. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like those three yeah. toddlers we've got. So COVID had a big part to play. I, I was really interested in how many, how many people said, you know, my child had my partner at home for the first 800 days of their yes. life. <laughs> Like, wow. And there was the usual conversation about home help. So whereas some people said, uh, gee, it was nice being at home in London having my child, but, gee, it was really, really nice being away in Hong Kong having help and the balance of deciding at what stage you're at for how important that is to you because if you're working, um, home help is just a gift. Oh, on I mean, a platter. I couldn't have had my eight weeks maternity leave if I didn't have home help. I mean, that's that, right. there, there was that's no way. Right. I, I didn't have to find childcare. I didn't have to take my child out of the house. You know, I, I was yeah. able to do all that. Yeah. And people included like the, the prenatal stuff. Like uh, one woman was saying that prenatal care in China was definitely preferable to prenatal care in Ireland. Um, and she had a Chinese speaking doula who um, she said that made life so easy for her yep. with giving birth in a Chinese hospital. But it's that doula thing came up again and again. Like you said, Nikki, there's all these options now of I think people outsource a lot. Obviously, you can't outsource actually <laughs> the birth. having the baby, or I'm sure you can. You can. So many people talked about, you know, employing the help of a of a local doula and how life-changing that was and that that did not exist and I guess that's because you know a lot 16 years ago people had went to hospitals to have babies and like you said I think that Dutch influence of because I remember that I remember being in Libya my um, bestie was Dutch 
and she was horrified at, at just how involved it all was in Australia, you know, <laughs> no, 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 you know, you can just have your baby at home and someone will come to your house and you'll just, you know, throw some newspaper <laughs> down on the floor and away you go, you're fine sort of thing. Um, but it was such a different attitude and just back at it, you know, literally on your bike and away you go. And so I think I think that influence is definitely there. Uh, the fear of not having a base, I, I thought that was interesting. One, one woman uh, wrote that her main fear now that she's had babies is her children not having a base and, and that, that that hadn't worried her at all, not having a base until she had, had children. children. Yes, every expat yeah, parent's yeah. Uh, yeah. nightmare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People talked about maybe being in certain countries where C-sections were highly prevalent. So I guess yep. like back to if you're European and you're squatting down in your kitchen <laughs> giving birth happily and Okay, apologies to all the Europeans who didn't give birth in their kitchens <laughs> and then ride their cargo bike to the supermarket for some champagne or something. Apologies. Yes, but those people get very worried when they're in yes. maybe somewhere in Asia where and a lot of conversations about I don't want to have a c-section I don't want to have a c-section I don't want to have a (laughs) c-section yes 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 madam and then getting mid childbirth and we're going to give you a c-section one thing that people talked about too was the fact of when you are somewhere where there's home help and if you're a working parent that if you if you then become a non working parent with home help is how hard it is to meet other mums because if everybody's back at work and you're living somewhere where most people are back at work and you suddenly find yourself in the playground and and the people who are employed to be looking after children for the day they might not accept you as much or want you yeah. in their clique because they're part of their own their own clique. And so there were a couple of people that talked about that. This one, I remember this and it's it's interesting. I guess this all comes down to where you posted is sourcing sort of safe baby equipment. Yes. And that worry of have I got a legitimate cot here? Is it approved? Is it whatever? And which all when your children are teenagers, you go, oh, my gosh, that was the least of my worries. <laughs> like, right. you know, but at the time it's the <laughs> most important thing, the most important that's thing. Right. Yes. That's right. And it doesn't matter how many times someone says to you, It'll be okay. uh, my child my child slept in a laundry basket, <laughs> you don't need to worry about a you know, proper cot with sides or whatever. But you don't, you're just trying really hard to yep. get everything 100%. right. Um, you just feel like you can cope so much better in your own place where you feel comfortable but if you're yes. new in a place and you you just not who yeah. do I call how am I going to fix this like all that yeah. kind of stuff like how does that work then Nikki that's such a good point that is such a good point because we convince ourselves this wouldn't happen if we were at home yes but it would it might yeah. but you but you might Absolutely deal with it, it more differently you might be calmer about approaching it you might have someone you could call that you know would come there are all sorts of things and when it happens in a new place you're like how do I deal with that? And it just makes the situation so much more stressful than it needs to be. Someone said that in post-COVID times, it is really hard to know what is an expat problem and what's a COVID problem. Yeah, I um, agree. It's also, it's an expat and a COVID problem because as like, you know, COVID problems have 
the expat extra. <laughs> you know, we absolutely the extra percentage uh, points on top. <laughs> absolutely. Someone else said that managing family visits now seems a lot harder, and I think that would go back to the COVID expat thing. But also, I think once you've got kids, you're not you're very conscious of how long the plane journey is and how those things look. But they said that while the family visits seem harder, keeping up with family, with tech, seems so easy. Um, You know, you're not having to, I think, Nikki, you and I come from a world of... Printing photos. Dial up, (laughs) printing photos and dial up internet connections and then downloading emails that took... 10 minutes to download because they had, they had a, photo. a photo in them. <laughs> yeah. Now you can sit at home, take a photo on your camera and send it to your relative's Amazon yes. home device or a digital photo yes. frame. Like you can go straight into a photo stream in another country and someone can oh, go, oh, yeah. look at the photos. So it's just, it's yeah. such a different world. But yes, goodness, the long download yes. when there was a photo and you'd be sitting there going, oh, like on the edge of your seat, you could see the oh, photo. Oh, you'd be so excited. <laughs> you'd be so excited. You'd got to see you know once the eyebrows and the eyes came through Um, the other one that was talked about and I identified with this I had four children in four different countries and someone said when you do that that you might assume that the OBGYN does one thing in one country only to discover that that doesn't happen in the next country that you go to, that you've got to go to a completely different person for a scan or you've got to pay some enormous amount for something or that they don't test for some things. You know, I know I had uh, my third child in Malta and they don't test for anything because there is no alternatives like there are no decisions made about, you know, babies that have, you know, life-threatening conditions. And so to, to go from that where I have to say there was an enormous sense of calm like once you'd moved on and carried on with the rest of the world where you just assume that everything's fine until it's not. But then to go to um, Calgary in Canada, which has a huge public health system that's you know bursting at its seams because they don't do private health um which is great because it doesn't cost anything but it just means that things are a bit (laughs) trickier to 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 get around but I was suddenly a geriatric pregnancy at 37 and um I was, you know, heavily encouraged to do every type of test because I was a geriatric pregnancy. (laughs) They kept telling me how geriatric I was. I remember at the time really struggling with it. But, um, yeah, so you don't know and you don't until you get – that can really throw you of, hang on, I'm doing what or where do I go or why does that work that way yeah. here? I don't get it. Whereas if you just yeah. had one baby in one country, you'd be like, okay, this is how it works here. That's fine. Yeah. But then you go yeah. to another country, you're like, hang on, what about the stuff that I had in the other country? Why isn't that happening yes. here? Or and why are there so many more tests here? That seems weird. I don't like it. Oh, you know, it just yeah. messes with your head, which you don't need and messing like with when said, you're pregnant. <laughs> No, you've got enough. You can mess up your own head enough without the help of others. But um, it it 
you saying then about if you're in the one country and you do the same thing, it's that whole thing of if everybody does something one way, if you come in and do it another, you can be culturally very confusing. So in Germany, labour laws prohibit management from mentioning any health issues. Um, So a woman had said, while she progressively got more and more pregnant, nobody in management mentioned it <laughs> because they're not really meant to acknowledge any any visible changes in your health, so they just don't talk about it. Um, and she said it wasn't until she arced up about, you know, nobody's talking about the elephant in the room, literally, and... <laughs> And that, um, then someone said, "Well, we can't. We're not. We're not really socially meant to do that as management. We can't talk about your con- your condition." So I thought that was really interesting too. Um, someone said the biggest thing for them was that their maternity wasn't covered in their health insurance. So they said it wasn't really extortionate, but it was unbudgeted, so it was quite painful yeah. um, for them to deal with, and that was something they hadn't even thought of because that everything. Everything else they did was covered by the health insurance yeah. and so they just made that assumption. The other one, this surprised me, someone who had a baby in Hungary and that person, I think the person said they were from the UK and the north in the UK, but they said they had a baby in Hungary and they couldn't believe how warm and affectionate the nursing staff were, like hugs and cuddles like to the the parent, uh-huh. um, that it was, yeah, that nursing, that that they were much more touchy-feely. Right. I thought that was lovely. That is lovely. Yeah, just, But also weird if you're not it? used to it. Like why are these people like Oh, so tiny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Another woman said something about the move from going from invasive China where you were given every test oh, and yeah. everything and then she said to laid back Germany and I did respond back to her saying, gee, I reckon that's the first sentence we've ever had where Germany was described <laughs> laid as laid back. <laughs> oh, dear. So this other woman said, and I will stop soon, but I just I did find it fascinating. Um, I found attitudes towards age and BMI, etc., very different in KSA and Ghana. There was no mention of being an older mum, so she obviously didn't get caught. Uh, geriatric (laughs) or the risk factors she said I was just a woman having a baby but in the UK oh here it is in the UK I was a geriatric high BMI allegedly needed to be under a consultant I declined most things and I had a home birth at my folks house Um, and the other thing that people maybe if you are planning a baby too and you think oh just wait till we get to Qatar or Saudi or whatever because this all sounds great Make sure you choose a hospital where your partner can be at the birth because sometimes they that can't. can be a sometimes they can't. Um, and I found Nikki, and I only thought about this later. There seemed to be so much more paperwork having babies when you're an expat because you've got to fill in all these details for yes. things, and passports, I, and I think the other thing is visas. Is, yeah, the other yeah. thing is that you get panicked, right? So you have a baby. And you're like, I'm stuck here yes. because we can't go anywhere because this baby doesn't have a passport. And so yes. you have this incredible anxiety, or you may or may not, but the level yeah. of freak out is not freak out, but just the level of anxiety it creates. I remember being so uncomfortable thinking, oh, my God, 
if we have to leave in an emergency, we can't all go. One of us has to stay with the baby. Yes. <laughs> and so yes. until I got that Australian and we were, um, my daughter was born in Hong Kong, which is she can't receive any other passport or travel document apart from Australian. So we had to get an Australian passport, not that we wouldn't have, but we had to then, so we got the, the Hong Kong birth certificate. We had to take it to the consulate. We had to get an Australian um, application for an Australian citizenship by descent. We had to wait to get that. And then once we had the citizenship by Descent, we could apply for the passport. So it was like a multi step process. And the whole time I was just thinking, ah, when, when is the passport coming? <laughs> Not that I planned to go anywhere. Not that I wanted to go anywhere. It's just that if I wanted yeah. to, I couldn't. I guess it's similar to during COVID when you, you know, you just had that feeling of a little bit, if even if I wanted to go somewhere, yeah. I can't. Okay, Nikki, shall we move on yes, to your question? So my question is also, well, we've talked a lot about a lot of emotional issues there and our emotional health. So my question is in the <laughs> emotional health range. So where is your expat emotional health at right now? Obviously, there's regular emotional health and then there's expat emotional health. So you're doing, you know, two countries, split timing, new friendships and relationship building post-COVID. Where where are you at right now? Well, I think your answer is going to be far more interesting than mine, Nikki, because I think <laughs> your emotional health with you have an imminent repatriation. So I'll be very quick with mine because I think really it's 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 going to be interesting sort of talking to you and hearing how that's going. I'm sure everybody is really interested in sort of how, how you're travelling after how many years have you been next expat for? 20 years. Wow. Okay, so just quickly with me, when when I uh, heard your question, because we obviously have a running sheet, we put our questions in at the beginning and I saw your question and thought, hmm, how is it? Because people don't often ask you, do they, how your emotional health no. is. We all say, how are you going? And we just want a quick good and then a move on. Um, so, <laughs> so I think for me, my biggest thing of being an expat at the moment with emotional health is your head is in two places all the time because my heart is in two places. I have four children in one country and a husband here with me in this one and I'm going back and forth, like you said. And, you know, I think the only way to describe that is so yesterday, so this is this is what our weekend always looks like at the moment. It's a... You know, you're trying to keep track of where everybody is still, even though they're big. But, you know, Henry Hot Dog is still at school and in the boarding house and um, still not an adult and so still requires a where are you staying tonight and what are you doing and who are you doing it with. And so on Saturday we had, because we all have with, you know, find my iPhone and find my phone and we all share each other's stuff so you can see where everybody is, without... And just on that, Nikki, we need to talk about this another time, but our children track us far more than we track our children and I find that very interesting. And I've had this conversation a lot with parents of older children who have all said the same thing, that their children can tell anyone where they are at any given time and I find that very, very interesting. <laughs> but but let's talk about that another time. But we could see on uh, Find My iPhone that we had one child was down at the beach, of course, because we always have a child down at the beach, Nikki, down at the beach <laughs> house because, you know, that's what it's there for. It's there for our children to holiday. Um, I hope everybody can grasp my sarcasm. Uh 
anyway, one child at the beach, one child was at the boarding school, one child was working at the footy club, the other child was working as well. But as the day progressed, people picked each other up and met and got together and did whatever. So by Saturday night, we had two children working together at a function where about 500 metres away, another child was at a ball. So she was all <clears throat> glammed up and ready for the ball. And uh, the other child was working where he was driving from one location to another, delivering things and doing things and whatever. But, I, you know, I would have had, you know, five or six phone calls throughout that day of, you know, and updates of one sends a picture, you know, she's got her tan done, she's got her hair done and she's got the hair and makeup done, she's done whatever. One child had to tell me that he had got a speeding fine, and, you know, of course, <laughs> come back in to my you. <laughs> car. It's come back to me and he's had to go, oh, you know, one, one of those calls. It's always the same child that starts with, uh, I've, um, I've uh, got a bit of bad news, mum. I've uh, got something to tell you. It's like, please get your delivery better than this. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so there was that conversation. But, of course, I already knew because his sister had already <laughs> dobbed him in the night before. But um, so there's that and you're thinking of that and you're sorting it. All right, you're going to have to get the stat deck and we're going to have to do this and do that and whatever. Um the other two kids go off to work. They're sending selfies of them in the kitchen and, you know, plating up and doing whatever. Down to we were still talking to the one on her way home at 3 o'clock in the morning while she gave us the debrief, as she called it, of the evening and who, who'd done what where, you know, and the DJ and whatever. But so it's very hard uh, to really focus on where you are when you're really not, Do you know, you're – your head. I'm while I'm standing there on the golf course talking to the you know a couple of friends of ours. I'm still looking at my phone. You know, looking at who's got home safely. Is everyone there? Can someone check? You know, if this has happened, where's the dog? You know, who's that? You know, stuff that you shouldn't be doing because I I actually don't think it's good for your expat emotional health to do that. Mm. But it's the situation we're in, right? And it comes back to, you know, in our maternity thing when people said it's so hard to see a range of physical visit with my parents but it's so easy to connect with them uh, on tech. I think the jury's still out if that if that's a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to trying to s- cement yourself and making a conscious decision. So my thing that I've really thought about with my expat emotional health is making those conscious decisions about where your focus is going to be. And it might be simple things like I'm updating my website and um, I've had a shocking time with my web host of trying to, you know, get things sorted. But then I had to make a decision, okay, well, where do I want my hosting provider to be? Do I need them to be in the Middle East or do I need them to be in Australia? And it was really, you know, I was like, oh, well, Australia, you know, because that's home and I'll be able to understand that. It was like, no, you need to make it in the Middle East. You live in the that's Middle East. That's where your time zone is. <laughs> that's where your time zone is and that's what you should be focusing on. Do you know, like stop stop putting yourself in a country that you're not actually physically in. Mm. 
because it's it's yeah. Except so for TV, when you use VPN. <laughs> It is. <laughs> just as one exception, people, just to say. So, yeah, that's my emotional health at the moment. It's just just focus on where you are and try not to keep thinking about not. And it's not even where you want to be when, you've, when you're at this stage of your expat life, but it's more where the other people are, like try not to focus so much on the other people. Yes. It's hard, Nikki. It is brutally, brutally hard at this point. But I want to hear about your emotional health in this repat experience. Yeah, look, I tell you, it's it's really interesting because we're doing this process whereby uh, for many reasons we're staying here till the end of May, um, but we moved out of our house, our apartment in the middle of April so that was pretty much like a cleansing process where you know everyone's like mm. oh you're going you're moving oh you're going you're going going I was like no I'm not going yet yeah um so yeah. so I'm sort of at that stage but but w- one thing that really made me just sort of sit back and say okay it's not about the sausages I um <laughs> when we were moving out of our apartment and uh we were we were living we stayed in there for about 10 days just on you know fold out beds and things using stuff we were giving away etc cetera, etc cetera. And um, yeah. in the middle of that was the international fair at school. And last year I had been out of the country and I said that I would organise it this year. God knows why, but I did. And um, so the, the ANZA team had sort of fallen apart a little bit um, during COVID, whatever. So I, I got everyone together and, and we did a sausage sizzle to, to, do, to be our contribution. And so I arranged it all. It wasn't too hard. You do a Google Doc, everyone, you know, dumps in what they I looked up how to host a sausage sizzle, how many sausages I'd need for 500 people, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> anyway, and so that was all fine. But we're at, at the school. It was all going on. I was, And, I, and you should say, Nikki, you should say sausage sizzles are huge yes, in Australia. they are huge. On Saturday mornings you go to the hardware store, there's always a charity sausage sizzle where the, you know, the local footy clubs sell, you know, doing yep. sausages. And we, we talk infinitely about do you put the onions on top or the onions underneath and uh you know all that sort of stuff but it really is a sausage it's not a hot dog it's a sausage uh on like a piece a of beef bread sausage pork yeah. sausage cheese chicken sausage yeah on a piece, on a of, piece bread of bread with, with some with, sauce with onions and tomato sauce that's it it's it's a sausage sizzle yes so yes. i was at, we were there and um the barbecues had started you know the boys are out by the barbecue cooking the onions and whatever and and so there was a, a bit of a line forming and then all these parents were in line with their little kids and and saying oh the hot dog this the hot dog that i said look it's not a hot dog, people. You can't have one if you're going to call it a hot dog. It's a sausage. It's a sausage. And this little kid just looking at me and I'm like, it's fine. Take it. And then, then at one stage I was like, this other person, I said, look, if you're going to call it a hot dog, you cannot have one. It's Australian. It's a sausage. It's called a sausage sizzle. This is what, and all these people saying we don't want onion. I'm like, no, onion is part of it. Onion is part of the sausage <laughs> And then I said to the woman beside me, I have to leave now. (laughs) I just walked away and I walked back inside and I was so embarrassed. And I was like, 
this is not about the sausages. This is nothing to do with the sausages. It was to do with where I was at, where I was I was sleeping on the floor of my apartment. We were having our inspection on the Monday. I still had all these things to do. and But it was not about the sausage sizzle. But I just, I lost no. my, my shit, totally lost yes. myself. And, and I just thought, you know, it's just one of those things. When a little kid loses it, you're like, oh, what's going on? What is the real reason between behind this happening very true but when an adult yes. does it you're like what a dick what a dick yes because <laughs> we're all expected yes to be adults well, look at adulting. that woman not adulting at all and so i was i was just i was so ashamed that i went out to the woman who was the loveliest woman who i'd never met before she's a secret australian in the school and um and i had and i just said look i'm so sorry she's like what are you sorry about i was like being upset about people calling them hot dogs. She's <laughs> like, it's okay. But I really know that I'd never met her before. I'm never going to meet her again. And she's always going to remember I'm the crazy lady about the hot dogs. But I just, <laughs> I just want, I just wanted to say, like, I am with you. Everyone who's repatriating this year or moving countries, wherever you're at, it's, it's, you're on a roller coaster, right? And it's just, you know, and I, I've, Copenhagen's been having this absolute run of amazing weather. And, um, mm. it's, it's one of those cities that is so beautiful in the sunshine. It, it's, it's kind of cool yes. and funky most of the time, but in the sunshine, it's just, it's a different place. It's amazing. Uh, and yeah. so I've been taking so many photos on my Instagram stories, you know, like, just walking, doing my daily walks, whatever, taking all these photos. And people saying, oh, you're getting nostalgic because you're leaving. I was like, no, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's because the freaking sun is shining. Like it's nothing to do with me leaving. Don't <laughs> and send- you have been waiting for the sun to shine, yeah. <laughs> Don't- <laughs> but like, Nikki, as we, as we talk, right, I'm looking at you uh, because we record across a video sort of conference yeah. and I can I can see there's a guitar in the background and I was I was going to say to you before oh wow you've taken up the guitar and then it was like oh no because you're not in your home you're in somebody else's home that is somebody else's guitar and so you really are in that total limbo stage right yeah of we're living mm. out of suitcases. Well, you're not you. Yeah, no, yeah. no. And the other thing is, is so in May in Denmark there are three three holiday weekends, which is crazy. Like there's three like three public holidays that fall around a weekend, so there's three long weekends. So everyone's away yeah. all the time. So I'm just assuming everyone's away, right? Like I don't, I won't see anyone this weekend because yeah. they're all away. And then I see photos of them, you know, posting doing local things. I'm like, oh, well, I could have caught up with them. But I didn't, you know, and that's one of my last chances to do that. And so I'm sort of, you know, this whole, oh, it's just, it's, it it really is, it it does your head in. And the other thing is, is as anyone knows, when you're moving to a new country, you're doing things, you're setting up, whatever. Anyone who wants to know, I've now got an Australian eSIM on my phone. So now I have a proper Australian phone number. And so my phone's operating on two numbers. I set all that up because I had to set up for paperwork. I had to fill in for something else. And so it's like an ongoing sort of role timetable so you you have to emotionally be in a new place and I am totally fine I'm not and I feel worse for people who really don't want to go and they're feeling that they have no other option you know sometimes this happens in various situations and I am there in my head like I, I am I'm at peace or I'm happy about the move whatever but I 
wasn't necessarily always that way and I, I can't imagine having got to this stage like 10 days ago and still feeling that way. I don't I would be mm. more of a mess than I am yeah. now. So I just yeah. so where I am with my emotional health, roller coaster, roller coaster. Okay, Kirsty. Okay. Moving on to three favorite things. Kirsty, what are your three favorite things this week? Or this oh, month? <laughs> well, okay. So I've spent a bit of time on a plane recently, <laughs> but I discovered, and I don't think I would have discovered this had I not been on a Qatar Airways flight. On the in flight entertainment now, they do now have podcasts as well of, yes. um, and, and video ones. And so it was like, okay, I've watched every movie, I've seen every television show. Now I'm going to do the podcast. So I found one, Feel Better, Live More which is Dr. Chatterjee um, and he's based out of the UK and he had three different ones that uh, that were loaded that I really, really enjoyed and uh, one of them was a guy called Oliver Berkman and he has written a book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals and what the 4,000 Weeks is, is, Nikki, have you ever done the exercise of no. <laughs> looking at what your how long you may be alive for, say if you're planning on living till eighty, and then calculating how many weeks you have left. No till thanks. Then. No thank yes. you. <laughs> so when you do that, you suddenly go, I don't have a lot of weeks. You know, like <laughs> even if you, yeah. So I'd sort of balance it out, and I can't remember what age I decided on, but I think I think I might have even gone by when my father died but I worked out I had about 1300 weeks if I'd put myself there which really and then then if you go well how many of those weeks will be on holidays doing things that I love rather than you know working etc anyway I found this guy really interesting he used to I think he used to write for the Guardian and he wrote a lot about time management and so he had he's you know spent years researching time management and different things that have come that have meant to make us better at time management. And um, so the book 4,000 Weeks is sort of about the relentless distraction that we are all faced with now with social media and technology and how things work and uh, sort of productivity techniques. And I've, I've signed up for his newsletter because I read a few of his posts and I was like, God, this is good. And he only sends two a month, which I thought, oh, I oh, like that good. idea. Two a month is Yes, good. that you're not going to completely bombard me with things. But um, he had some really good tips on time management and I, I thought it was really good. And that whole about just getting stuck into things. Now the other person he talked to was a guy called Mo and I think it's Gordat, who's the former chief business officer at Google. And he's uh, an Egyptian guy who wrote a book called Solve for Happy, S-O-L-V-E, Solve for Happy. And he wrote that after the death of his son and his son died having a really routine appendectomy. He was just getting his appendix out and they completely botched the operation and he lost his 14-year-old. Um, and I think that was the big life change for him about what he was doing with his life and and looking at happy, happiness. And, and this was a guy who'd been incredibly successful business-wise and he'd obviously made a lot of money and he was living in Dubai, he had a lot of luxury cars and all those things. But like I was saying to my son after I watched it, he was, he was saying, you know, 
you have a fancy car, but you get in it and you'll become completely obsessed by the stitching being wrong in the seat. And he said, and then you suddenly realise that you're looking at the road and so is everybody else. They're just looking at the road, but you just happen to be sitting in your fancy car. And he said, and what people don't tell you is those fancy cars break down a lot. And I was asking because my son's obsessed with cars and and so is my husband. And I was saying, is that true? And he goes, yeah, you know, like they don't, Ferraris and, you know, all of these sorts of cars, while they look fabulous and sound fabulous and he said they do have a, a terrible rate of, you know, <laughs> things going wrong and costing a lot of money but I I just off track but I just thought he he put he put a lot of simple things in context and a couple of things he said of my aha moments was he was saying you know because we're on the internet and we're looking at each other's Instagram and whatever that we're exposed to limitless possibilities Um, but we also see more suffering than what the greatest saints in history would have ever seen in a lifetime we'll see in an hour. Yeah. You know, so we're just exposed to, you know, all of this stuff. And he said, so you can see all these problems. And I think if you're a bit of an empath and you get totally attached to people's issues and problems and you can just become so overwhelmed, which I I really identified with, you know, you seeing the the ice bucket challenge followed by someone's terrible bowel cancer journey or breast cancer or someone's looking for money to, you know, fund their appeal for their child's cancer. And and it, it, it I really sat back going, Kirstie, you've got to work out how not to be so taken down that path because you can't, you can't actually can't as a person keep feeling all the feels for all the all the terrible things. You've got to just choose one of those problems that you're going to attack. And I went out to dinner with my cousin Bianca recently and a, a woman came up asking for money. And I really liked Bianca's phrase when she said no because she said really politely, I can't remember how she, how she said no so politely, but it was, um, you know, I'm not able to help you at this time, but I have been able to donate to some other charities this week or I have or I have a regular charity that I donate to like and and I was thinking why is she telling her that like but then I thought no that's her that's for her own self yeah you know well-being that she's telling her that she's just she doesn't want to do a flat no I can't I'm not helping you she wants to explain I'm not I can't help you right now because you can't help everyone no you you can't can't now um anyway I I just thought that was really interesting and 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 that concept that happiness can be learnt um because I think so often we feel now that we we have to go and get all sorts of other help, but I think maybe the focus on happiness being learnt is is it's an interesting concept. Yeah, well, um, that's when I, I listen to the podcast Ten Percent Happier, and I it's the same kind of yes. thing because I don't really like all the mumbo jumbo and the let's the mindfulness and the meditation. Yeah, but it's not all about that. It's just about like finding little ways to be a little bit happier. Like my my child came to me yesterday and said do you know how you can turn empathy off? And I said, 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm so sorry <laughs> because yes. they were feeling so overwhelmed because they are a person that takes on a lot of empathy, a lot, and they feel so much for other people that it really impacts them and their sense yes. of themselves. And they're, and this is part of being connected all the time, right? So they can yes. spend their whole day talking to this person who's having a bad time because they want to keep, you know, they can spend 10 hours. Yeah. Whereas in the past you would have spent – the time you spent with a person at the park or yes. a phone call or whatever, but now they are connected to this person the whole day and they yes. are carrying this enormous load that the person doesn't intend for my child to yes. carry, but my child yes. takes it on like and doesn't know how yes. to turn it off and said yep. that to me, you know, can I turn it off? And I was like, oh, I wish I knew how to help you do that. But I do, they are not, a very happy person because they are they happen to have a group of friends who are lovely people and, and very supportive of each other but they they've faced a lot of challenges in their life as yes. a part of the LGBTQ trans communities whatever and so they have a lot of things going on and my child takes all those on inside yes. them and yes. I just yes. I, I wish see I'm going to go and listen to some of these things now and then give them tips which they'll hate they'll hate me for that but I just like yesterday this really came true for me when they came to me and asked me that it's that age though Nikki too yeah you remember being that age, right? You you do, you take on everybody's, for want of a better term, their drama. So yeah. um, what's going on in your child's life is very real, like you said. It's yeah. people dealing with trans issues and, yep. and big things, right? So I don't want words like drama to minimalise what I'm No, I know, I, what, but I know what, what you said. Like it's through. an age-based thing as well, but, but it's also I, I look at young adults and they're all in their group chats and I, I see it with my own kids that they can build up this, you know, Daisy has a problem and everybody's suddenly in the problem and then I've got to drop everything and go to her house right now. You know, like there is because that's what we're like when we're that yeah. age. We we It's only once we get too busy and as we get older that we can't drop everything and go that we stop doing that, you know. Um but yeah, oh look, it's a beautiful thing about growing up, but it's also the hardest thing, oh, isn't it? So you realise you yeah. can't fix everything. Sounds and here good. I am at fifty <laughs> saying, uh, you know, I'm yeah. Anyway, moving on. I read a beautiful, beautiful piece on thecut.com. They have a series called It's Over, which is a series that explores divorce and what divorce looks like now. But this particular piece really, really resonated with me. It was an excerpt from a book called You Could Make This Place Beautiful. It was written by Maggie Smith and it kind of, I guess, addressed the importance of having a partner who supports you because she talked about sort of being at a conference and there was a couple there um, and the woman was a fellow poet. Maggie Smith is a poet and a writer and she, she, I guess she came, had her claim to fame when she wrote a poem that went viral and then she became a bit of a hit. And so that meant that she did a lot more writing and a lot more traveling and speaking and talking and whatever, but she was also a mother of three and had to balance it out. So she went to this conference, she ran into one of her husband's co-workers and his wife who was also a poet. And she says, and I'm just going to read you this bit, at the conference, Anne's husband walked up as I was signing copies of my book. Let me take a picture of you signing let me take a picture of your signing line and I'll send it to him. Please don't, I said. 
it'll just make everything worse. I was having a good time. It was work, but I enjoyed it. And he was home doing my work. To be fair, I treated it that way too. I had internalized that. He was covering for me, inverted commas, as if I were a co-worker who'd gone on vacation and left my cubicle neighbor with all of my tasks while I was away. I should be thankful, and I was thankful. I should feel bad, and I did feel bad. I felt bad because I saw other women with spouses and kids and their husbands picked up the phone with a warm, hi, how's it going? They asked about their wives' panel discussions, about readings and signings. They put the children on the phone and then asked for the phone back to say, I love you before they hung up. Some of the husbands even came along. I envied that. I wanted that. Once in a meeting in my lawyer's office, my lawyer and I on one side of the conference table, my husband on his on the other. My husband's lawyer used air quotes when she talked about my work, when you were working, she said. I just, oh my gosh, Nikki, I just, I think for every woman who has felt that guilt about pursuing yeah. their career and yeah. there because it's you know it started as a hobby and then maybe turned into a side hustle and then maybe it was like oh I could do this and just what it's like for those people that don't have that support that feel like their partner is a is babysitting for them rather than just parenting for them I just loved it so I will put a link uh to that one so they were my, I'm sure I had another one. Oh, I'll, I'll talk about the other one next week because I've talked for a long, long time. But they, they were two things that I really, really enjoyed this week. What about you? What are your three? For me, my one of my favourite things is expat nostalgia. So this is part of my emotional state and where I'm at, I think. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's that or if it's that I'm repatriating or that I just now I'm a expat grandparent in eight years or whatever but watching yeah. people on trains so we also recently went to Amsterdam for the weekend and we were catching the train from the airport into town and as you know at the airport there's a massive train station because people get on trains and go all over Europe from there when they get off the train and we got on the train beside a couple a guy and his parents and his parents were Australian and he was probably in his 30s and his parents were probably in their 60s maybe. And I was like, oh, they're Australian. So whenever I hear an Australian accent when I'm overseas, I always sort of listen a little bit, you know, just yeah. it's just a thing. Same. Just, just Same. listen. And then they happen to sit beside us on the train. Well, I mean, <laughs> he was in his 30s, so he was picking up his parents from the airport. His mum had been to visit before. It was really obvious. And his father, this was his father's first time. So he was like, his dad was like, will it be far? Are we going far? What, like, how long will it be? His mum's like, well, it's far. And, and his son's like, it's 57 minutes. Okay. And then his son gets his laptop out and starts working on it or doing something, I don't know. And the mother's just sitting there feeling very comfortable because she's done this before. And the dad's like, how many stops will it be? <laughs> and the son's <laughs> looking up going, and the mother's like, it's a few. I'll tell you when we're getting close. You know, like, so it was just this uh, yeah. whole thing. And Huge. I was just like, oh, my God, it's so cute. I just want to go over there and hug them all and say, I love that you're doing this. I love this whole thing. <laughs> but really, what do I love? I don't know. But it was just one of those things where, like, oh, I've so been there, you know, when, yes. you know, if someone's visiting for the first time or they're visiting for the second time. I, you know, the mum felt so comfortable and confident because she'd been there before and, yeah. you know, she knew how far it was 
else on the train. The son was either trying to get some work done or doing his socials or something like he was just like kept opening the laptop. And then whenever his dad spoke, he would shut the laptop. He would talk to his dad and then he'd lift the laptop over (laughs) again. And it was just, it was just, I was just going, oh, I love you guys. I don't know you. Like they might all be dicks. I'm not sure. But it was just this very... Yeah. expat situation i was like oh that's just so lovely i just really i, yeah. I loved it i thought it was great yeah. anyway that was the thing the diplomat on netflix obviously if you've got to watch it you've watched it um kerry mm. russell I'm a, and i'm a hard no and rufus Sewell from the man <laughs> in the high castle wow um <laughs> Dramatic and far-fetched, obviously. I mean, I even yep. I know that a CIA agent or anyone can't have their phone inside a U.S. embassy building. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but U.S. diplomats around the world are watching it and commenting on it. There was an article in Politico and one of them said it was realistic enough to almost be plausible. Oh. I just thought the writing was really... I really enjoy the writing. Like it, it's a drama, but it's laugh out loud. There's comedy moments in every episode, like that you just you just laugh at, and the relationship between the couple. I mean, it's ridiculous and far fetched, but also pretty real on a lot of levels as well. Mm. Um, and it was something that my husband and I watched together, which we rarely find things that we are yeah, uh, like. Nice. Let's do another episode of that. So yeah, often we'll start something, and then he'll I'll either go, oh no, I'm not fussed, and he'll go on to watch it or. I'll, I'll, yeah, you know, vice versa, whatever. Anyway, so you're hard no. What did you not like? About hard it? no. Oh, just so unrealistic. And um, I just couldn't find it plausible. And I, you know, all these people had said, oh, you know, I, I think what's funny is a lot of people have said you need to watch The Diplomat and a lot of people have then gone and watched The Wrong Diplomat. Yes, there's, there's two one, there's diplomats. Two, yeah. But this is the Kerry Russell one. And what was interesting was you know when you watch something you go I really don't like this and I do not understand why everybody is raving about this because I don't like it and finally someone the other day wrote in one of those big you know chat rooms I don't get it and said all the reasons why they didn't like it and then there was just I I just wrote straight away thank you but there was a whole lot of people going absolutely this show is ridiculous so and and we had I sat down to watch it with Greg and we watched the first one and went oh it it, it will get better it'll get it'll get more believable you know to get better I said you know all these people have said how great it is we did three and then we were like, no, we're out. It was yeah, then that's we interesting. both had no, the I same yeah. feeling to it. But yeah, and and I noticed uh I did listen the other day, I was on the tri- treadmill, I listened to Chats Ten Looks Three. And I think it must have been Annabelle Crab maybe who recommended it and Lee had watched one and said, No, I don't I don't get it. I I'm not getting it. And Annabelle went on to say I understand why you don't get it, but you will enjoy the relationship between the husband and wife. And I think that that's um, a, yeah. they've got a lot of good moments, like that are real marriage moments yeah. that you don't yeah. often see, like written yeah. like that. But, yeah, I mean yeah. the story is unrealistic, but so is every story on TV if it's not a BBC thing. Like I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, anyway, I get it. I'm not offended, but I did really enjoy yeah. it. Um, yeah, yeah. 
The yeah. other one was, and, the, and my third one is The Newsroom, which is on HBO yeah. Max. It's Aaron Sorkin and it was, um, you often see a clip from it, which is yes. um, Jeff Daniels being asked, tell me why America's the best country in the world. And he goes on a bit of a rant and says, you know, it's not anymore. But yes. it be. And that's there on social media all the time. That show, I thought, oh, it was so old. It was from 2012 to 2014, which is not really yeah. that long ago. That's 10 years. 10 years. Yeah, yeah. so it's 2023. If you watch it. It's so hard to believe that you thought the 2016 election was where everything went a bit off the rails in the US because <laughs> it's it's already there. It actually made me feel better that if that if um, Donald Trump is elected president again, I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. Because I just like, if you look at this whole show, it's like, oh, my God, you're right. These people were here before. Like Jeff Daniels' um, character says in it, I'm not a liberal, I'm yeah. a registered Republican. I only seem liberal because I believe that hurricanes are caused by intense low-pressure systems that form over warm ocean waters in the summer and early fall and not by gay marriage. Like that like, – and I'm like, yes, yes, that's so now. That's not like – you don't equate that with yeah. being 2012. But So but, are you saying you've only just watched it now no, or you're re-watching no, it? I'm re-watching it. it it's, it's, yeah. it's a comfort watch. Yeah. But it covers a lot of events, actual real news events from 2012 to 2014. And seeing it with 10 years on gives you a little bit of a perspective on it, actually, that I that I found right. comforting. So because uh, I, I, did... I really enjoyed it when it first came out. Yes. Too. Yeah. I, I really liked and it. And I remember so, yeah. the arc of the story, but I just it just popped up on my feet. I'm like, oh, OK, I'm going to go down that rabbit hole. And I did go oh. down it and I, I really I really enjoyed it. And I, I just enjoyed understanding that the, the hysteria, I think the media is definitely much worse now. It's, I mean, it was the early days of Twitter and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was, yeah. I mean, well, not, not really the early days, but the early days of it being included in TV shows. So yeah. it, it was, it's not as prevalent, but, but the media does, you can just see that where the change in the media has gone but really not that much. And, you know, it's it's interesting. I just, if anyone enjoys mm. Aaron Sorkin, you know, it was a follow-up from The West Wing. It was his next show after that. And um, it only yeah. went for three years. It should have gone for longer. But it's a, it's a recommend from me. Okay. Uh, and that's it. That's our three for this week. Kirsty, let's do one. Let's do a podcast again next week, which will be my last one in Denmark. Oh, my goodness. Because it's 10 days, right? Too yeah, late. 10 days. So you're in the house that you're in now for the next 10 days? Yes. We've been here since right. the 1st of May. So we're here till the 1st of June. Wow. Mm. And now, is there a leaving drinks or anything this coming weekend for you? There is. Well, this coming weekend is a long weekend in Denmark, so nice. everyone's away. Um, <gasps> but I'm having a little farewell on Thursday night. Nice. Yes. Mm. And what so are you going to do? We're hoping. Well, we're going on a boat on the canals. Oh, um, so yes, we're beautiful. checking the weather daily to check that that's yeah. still going to be okay. <laughs> it's a very Denmark thing know? to do. It's late. It's light, really late. It's really lovely in the evenings if the day, if it's not raining. Yeah. Now tell me, is it the same? Because when we were in Amsterdam, we had to make some very last minute plans, right? Because yeah. we were going to get together on the Saturday and then that changed. And my girlfriend, Erica, was beside herself because... She said, you don't understand what people are like here. Like they look in the 
they look in the calendar or at, at the weather and the minute they see there's a good day, they just start booking things like left, right and centre. It's going to be impossible to, you know, get anything, which did kind of remind me, like I always say when we lived in Canada, that was the thing that finally did me in was the I think it's going to be nice weather next Thursday, Do you yeah. know, like that whole living for these days. So is it the same in Copenhagen? Do people get very organised about the weather yeah. and having a so good day? It, it's Well, the thing is, I mean, they say in Northern Europe there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. So you have to yeah. be very weather attuned. So you do plan. If, if it's good, yes, you go in and you, you book the go boats or whatever. But it, yes. you also have to do long-term planning and just make a decision. So we're committed yeah. to the boat regardless of the weather. <laughs> So we're just going to have to see how it goes. But Amsterdam and Copenhagen both have about 200 days of rain a year. So I totally, totally Uh, get it. Yes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) See, and that I have to say that is it must be very annoying for the rest of it because Australians do not have that focus at all. (laughs) Like you tend to just stick your head out the window and have a look. That's and you plan something, you know, you wonder if it's going to be cold. You don't wonder if yeah. it's going to be raining. It's different. And and, and cold is 13 degrees. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's, I know. It's, it's a different, it's yeah, a different it kind is. of planning. But, yes, that's where we're at. So we'll, we'll touch base next week and see it and tell you how it works. I would love that. I would love that. Okay. Um, I'll see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.